0: The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the Tale of a Manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. Chapter 30 opens in Medius res. The party is locked in combat with a pair of demi-shadows. Incredibly, the companions emerge almost unscathed while the corpses of the defeated demi-shadows are left to fade from existence. Unconcerned with the goings-on below, the heavens continue to rage and storm for the remainder of the day. In the morning, the party discovers that they've had a visitor during the night. The elf, Sindur, has left them another gift, as well as a note that politely warns them never to return. Later in the day, the party comes across the river that Sindur had told them to expect, the river satisfies their most desperate needs for water and food in the form of snails and even some brown shell turtles. A bath and a swim allow the party to enjoy a rare moment of joy. Morale is the highest it has been since leaving Dwervar. A kind of travel montage follows, in which the companions head east, keeping the mountains of the Kazmirioth to their left. A week passes, during which hunger and thirst come creeping back, and things begin to look dire once again. Lastly. A flashback whisks us eleven days into the past to an unknown location where we meet a new character, the sinister Sav Marimon. This dark cleric is conducting a human sacrifice ritual that appears to be for the purpose of some kind of augury or communion with his evil deity. Chapter 31 Part 1 Day 40 Late Morning elevation. 1500 feet above sea level Party status Harl, 16 of 16 hit points Eridine 12 of 12 Girios, 21 of 21 Umora, 13 of 13 Ursalith, 4 of 4 Spells available Umura has memorized Shield, Light, and Levitate Girios has prayed for Purify food and water and cure light wounds. Consulting my map, the party is about to reach another river, and this one looks considerably larger than the first, or rather it bulges at the point where the party would come across it. Speaking of my map, if any of you have taken a look on taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com, you might be aware that there is some kind of settlement not far off. Approximately 50 miles due south of their position, I've placed a city, town, village, maybe it's a fort. As with so much of the story, it doesn't truly exist until it needs to. When I prepared this map, I thought it might be fun to sprinkle a few items across it that could activate set-piece encounters, or even side quests. Well, although this settlement, whatever it is, is not so far away, the map also tells me that it is completely obscured from vision by a rather large forested area. I think the only way the party would even be aware of it, even from their elevation, is if I roll a 20 on my weather die. Such a roll could indicate a freakishly clear day in which the characters can see for miles and miles. I guess that brings me to the day's die rolls. No reason to wait. Here they come. The weather. 12. Stumble-Upon. 19. Wandering Encounter. 5. It's a typical day for the time of year where spring begins to turn into summer. Although the Stumble-Upon die showed no result. The map tells me a different story, and so the party heaves a collective sigh of relief when they once again hear the distinctive white noise of a river flowing in the distance. As before, they hasten toward the sound, until they reach the source. It is indeed a wide, fast-flowing river. They drink until they can consume no more and fill their three empty waterskins. Unfortunately, there are no turtles or snails to be found along the bank, but Umora suggests that they try to make a fishing pole out of a tree branch and the hook and thread gifted to them by Cinder, the elven scout. They do so, and cast the end into the water, with nothing better than a strip of leather to use as bait. As they wait and rest, Harl frets that there's no way he'll be able to cross the river with his armor. It's too deep, much too dangerous, even with the armor off. Gyrios is in the same boat, or perhaps I should say he's in the same fix, as having a boat would solve the problem. It's decided that they will rest, enjoy a bath, and try their luck at fishing for a few hours. After, they'll make their way up river to look for a place where fording the river will be possible. I think the chance for one person fishing, even with a poorly made rod and laughably ineffective bait, is probably at least as good as the chance to forge for the day, so I'll give them a 1 in 3 chance. A 1 or 2 on a D6 will indicate success. The roll. A 1? Well, wow, that was unexpected. The party has successfully caught a good-sized, speckled trout. This fish is variously known as mud trout or brook char in Camertine, and it's a fine fish for eating. An adult weighs about four pounds on average. I think, with a one on the die, they've managed to catch a big one, and in just a couple of hours. One quick unanimous decision later, the fishing pole is put away and a small cook fire is built. Before too long, the party has enjoyed the best meal they have had in weeks. Harl might protest that they had a meal fit for royalty just a week before, to be fair but the humans are definitely more excited about the trout. As for Ursuleth, she remarks that she has never eaten a fish before. After lunch, the party douses and covers its small campfire and gathers their gear to look for a spot where they can cross. It doesn't take long. After just three hours, the river constricts and slows. The bank inclines at less of an angle, and a river crossing is discovered. Here, the water is only two feet deep. Gyrios and Harl doff their armor, deciding to carry it in their arms rather than wear it during the crossing. The river bottom was strewn with multicolored pebbles and smooth stones. They shifted and moved under the companion's feet as they waded slowly through the water. For Gyrios, Umura, and Eridine, the water came up to their middle thigh, but Harl and Ursulith were fully halfway submerged by the midpoint of the crossing. Help me with this breastplate, Gyrios, if you please. Of course, Master Harl, replied Gyrios, adding the bulky sheet of steel to his own burden. Perhaps we can try our luck with the fishing pole once we reach the other side," said Umura. Secretly, she believed she had discovered, in herself, some hitherto latent skill, as she had been the one to hook the char earlier in the day. Girios, recognizing that Umura was angling for something other than trout, gave her the compliment she wanted. I think you may have a natural talent for fishing, he said. Perhaps you missed your calling in life, Umura. Oh, do you really think so? Replied the sorceress, happily. They all laughed and finished the crossing. Once on the far bank, Gerios and Harl did their best to wring out their underclothes before donning their armor. The other three couldn't be bothered. They'd grown used to wearing damp clothing now and then, and remarked that they enjoyed the cool feel of the fabric on their skin. Ursalith declared that she could still taste the trout from before, and wondered aloud whether they might stop and try to catch another. We should move back downriver, where the water moves faster, advised Jumora. I think we'll find more fish there. We'll need to find more firewood at any rate, agreed Gerios there are no trees around here. The party followed the river southeast along this opposite bank until they could see some trees up ahead. That might be a good spot to catch something, offered Harl. I think so too, said Umura. If we're lucky, we might even... Hey, do the rest of you see that? I don't see anything, replied Harl. No, there is something. I think I see a trail up ahead. Eridine had been busy shaking a rock out of her boot. She looked up and squinted in the direction Umura was facing. Seeing what the magic saw, she nodded emphatically. Instinctively, she unshouldered her bow and drew forth one of the elven arrows given her by cinder. She knocked it to the string, but did not draw it back. The party advanced, cautiously, looking all around and suddenly feeling very exposed. No attack came. They seemed to be alone. Before long, they came upon a barely-there dirt trail, It cleaved a path through the grasses that grew long and lush along the river and sketched a roughly straight line, to the northeast, into the higher hills. When they had almost arrived at the trail, they started to see shapes in the mud that had been caused by the recent heavy rains. There were a number of impressions, clearly those of a single set of small shoes. The tracks led to the water and away, eventually disappearing when the trail grew rockier and there was less mud. The rains from the other day would have washed these away, began Umura. Unless these tracks were made since the rain. Gyrios once again finished her sentence and bent down to inspect the footprints. These are too small to have been made by a man, he concluded, removing his half-helm and scratching his bald pate. Maybe they were made by a woman, or a child, or perhaps there are more elves here, Umura wondered aloud. Oh, if only Kagan was here. Most of the others nodded solemnly at this, and Umura realized she needn't have said anything. They had all been thinking the same thing. "'I think it's likely that whoever made these tracks came here to collect water,' she said after a moment. "'And if someone is coming here to collect water, you know what that means.'" "'Food,' said Girios. "'I think it might be worth our while to follow this trail and see where it leads.'" "'I'm not too sure,' said Harl, frowning. "'Why not just stay here for the day? Catch another fish, maybe two, then fill our skins and make our way to the Arleguar.'" That is certainly an option, although it would be safer to move away from this spot if we do decide to do that. I mean, whoever uses this path will eventually come back. Hmm. Harl, how many more days' travel do you think it will take to reach this Arlegwar? Umura wanted to know. Harl splayed out his fingers and counted on them, with his lips moving silently. My best guess is ten days. Maybe a dozen. It could be more. Hard to say. I see, replied Umura. We won't be able to catch enough fish to last a trip that long. Even with Gyrios here to bless and purify the food, I, I don't think we would make it halfway." "'Better than nothing,' answered Harl." The party debated their options for a few minutes, and eventually everyone except Harl agreed that the best course of action was to follow the path. "'Just until we know where it leads,' Umura reasoned. "'We won't do anything rash.'" Harl, hands on hips, shrugged, and accepted that he was outvoted. The party formed a line to walk the trail in single file. Because she had the best eyesight, Eridine took the lead. Gyrios came next, then Umura, then Ursuleth, and Harl took the rear. He grumbled as they walked that he couldn't see anything other than Ursuleth's backside. The companions followed the trail, moving more slowly and cautiously than usual, with weapons drawn. Eridine kept an arrow knocked the whole time. The trail wound about some low hills and then started to climb. They realized after a couple of miles that they were re-entering the Kazmirioth. The dirt trail grew steeper still. The muddy footprints had long disappeared, but the narrow path was well-worn and easy to follow, even over rock. They walked another mile, and the going became harder as the way grew steeper. The trail curled again, hugging a hillock. Once they cleared it, Eridine threw up a hand to signal a halt. She beckoned them closer, pointing to something ahead. In the distance, built on a natural ledge at the base of a small mountain, was a complex made of stone with a clay-tiled roof, two chimneys, and a yard enclosed by a short fence, the kind used for keeping domestic animals. What is that place? Harl wondered in an unnecessary whisper. I have no idea, Umora whispered back. I know exactly what it is, supplied Girios. I have lived in several places just like it. Eredin looked over her shoulder at him, confused. That is a monastery.
1: What would you do if I told you that the world is not what it seems? You're telling me that potato salad is the key to other worlds? Ha! It's not even the best side dish. And people are not who they appear to be. I don't know that we can trust Master Goucher. Well, I know for damn sure we can't trust Charles Edward Cheese. My name's not Mike. Where puns run rampant through the streets... The Global Adventurers Guild, Master Enterprises, will not stand for this. Well, it's gag me for sure, so I'm pretty sure they take everything on their knees, don't they? And it's hard to tell who the real monsters are. Well, yeah, it's a mimic. But I'm Francis the Lion. Three heroes. You have my sword. You have my kazoo. Oh god, my hip face off against three villains.
0: Never again will they enslave me.
1: We'll make damn sure of that. I'm Francis the Lion. We know. To keep the world of Euphray from ripping apart. This damn portal won't close. Have you tried turning it off and back on again? And Tim and Terry from getting even more screwed. They're totally werewolves. Yep, they're definitely werewolves. Holy shit, those guys are werewolves. Welcome to A Fool's Quest. A Fool's Quest can be found on all major podcasting platforms simply by searching A Fool's Quest.
0: Dramatis Personae, Girios On Girios' eighth birthday, he was sent to live with the Brotherhood of the Scroll in the hills outside of Lenten. This was to be the beginning of Gyrios' spiritual life. It would be his first time living apart from his parents, Looking back, the transition to life among the men of the cloth had not been an easy one. At least, not at first. If such a separation were not hard enough for a little boy, Gyrios' best friend, the family dog, Oli, had passed away the very day before Gyrios left home. He remembered his arrival vividly. His escort had been a wagoner who regularly came here to deliver and take away certain goods. He was a wire-thin man who wore a wide-brimmed hat and had less personality than the mule that pulled his cart. They hadn't spoken at all on the trip, and when they parted ways there had been no word of farewell. Gyrios' emotions were a confused jumble, grief over losing Oli mixed with intense apprehension and anxiety over his new life. After a brief discussion with the wagoner, a man in simple homespun breeches and a white shirt approached Gyrios. The man was short and heavyset with kind eyes. He wore his grey streaked hair in a ponytail.
1: Well met. You must be young Gyrios,
0: he said. Gyrios studied the ground. Yes, sir, he replied.
1: I am Prior Imril. You may address me simply
0: as Prior. As for you, once we pass under that arch. Prior Imril now indicated the main arch of the entrance to the monastery compound. You shall become Brother Gyrios.
1: What do you think of that?
0: Gyrios hesitated. He wasn't sure how he felt. He didn't feel happy. Thank you, sir was all he could say. Imril laughed. <laughs> prior, he corrected. But think of it, young
1: Girios. Today you will gain twelve new brothers. That is quite a
0: thing, won't you agree? Gyrios said nothing, but continued to look at his shoes.
1: My, but you have a sad air to you, boy. Are you so unhappy to join us, then?
0: No, no, Prior. Girios managed to stammer. It's not that, it's just, I... I miss my dog. Ymiril laughed again, this time in surprise.
1: My apologies, Gyrios. I had not expected you to say that. If I may ask, what is your dog's name? Oli. He was named after Saint Oleg. Oleg of the Knots. A fine name. But with such a name, I hope he is a clever dog.
0: Gyrios just nodded a little. He bit his lip.
1: It seems to me that you really do miss him.
0: Girios bobbed his head again. He felt tears coming, but had decided earlier that he would not cry. Prior Imriel smiled a little compassionate smile and put a hand on Girios's shoulder.
1: Come with me. Let us go and meet your new family.
0: Episode 31. Part 2. Day 40. Sunset. Elevation. 2,500 feet above sea level. Party status. The party status is unchanged. Upon seeing the monastery and considering that the sun was beginning to set, the party decided to make camp and investigate on the following day. Eredin had noticed that the structure bore two chimneys, and everyone agreed that the most prudent move would be to spend the evening watching them for smoke. If there were any monks living there, it was likely that they would see some. A place as large as this would be home to at least a a half-dozen people, they reasoned, maybe more. Eventually, they would cook something. In addition, somehow, the idea of showing up as a group of uninvited strangers seemed more likely to yield a positive result if it were to be done in the light of morning, rather than in darkness. Unfortunately, that meant yet another night sleeping on the rocky ground. Well, by now, Gyrios, Umura, and Eridine were almost used to it. Gyrios pressed his golden coin to his forehead and said his prayers as the sun set in a rather spectacular melting spray of orange and crimson behind the ridges of the Kazmirioth. When it was over, the cleric concluded his prayers, and the five companions set their watch for the night and stretched out under the emerging stars. Eredin took the first watch, followed by Harl and Ursula together, then Girios who watched until dawn, and lastly Umura. Each watch lasted for roughly two hours. We'll leave the party to their rest while we take a quick break to roll for Weather and Wandering Encounters. There will be no stumble upon roll for Day 41. The Rolls Weather 12 Wandering Encounters A 5 The new day was fresh and bright. Umura, content to read for an extra hour, let the others sleep in. Every now and then she looked up from her books to check on the chimneys, but, like the night before, there was no smoke. She saw no activity, no sign of life at all. One by one, her companions awoke. Eridine and Gyrios were sore and had slept poorly. Harl and Ursuleth were fine. Once everyone was awake, there was no reason to stay put, and so they grabbed their packs and started walking toward the monastery. There's a kind of fenced-off area to the right of the main structure, said Girios. If they keep goats or chickens, maybe we can buy some milk or eggs, said Umura hopefully. I would kill for some eggs. I hope someone is there, said Girios. There must be someone. We saw those tracks by the river. Hmm, puffed Harl. He was not happy to participate, in what, to his mind, was an unnecessary diversion from their mission. Trust me, Harl, said Umura, we'll need supplies if we're to make it through the mountains. This is worth a try, "Mm," repeated the dwarf. The party followed a little footpath down the side of a hill until they no longer had a full view of the monastery. The stone walls now loomed over them, silent and imposing. The path took them around the base of the natural ledge upon which the structure was built and then up a steep incline. As they crested the rise they came very close to the rear of the building. There were slits in the stone wall which must have served as windows but they were too high and the party could not see inside. Eredin offered to try and climb up but the idea was vetoed when Gyrios pointed out that if anybody were to see a woman scaling the walls of their home they would understandably be less inclined to trade with them. The path led to a churchyard and, further along, to a flimsy gate. The party approached cautiously. Gyrios considered calling out but thought better of it and stayed silent. They entered the churchyard, still on the path. Headstones stuck up to either side. Each headstone was engraved with a different name but shared a symbol in common. The symbol was a stylized face of a young woman with no eyes. Gyrios, do you recognize this image? asked Umora. I need to make a check to see if Gyrios has ever heard about the Sisters of Hope or their Goddess, Hanavi, the Blind Maiden. BX rules doesn't have anything in it like a Knowledge Religion check, but it's easy enough to just roll against Gyrios' Wisdom Score. I think this Goddess is not especially well known in Mereth, so I'll just make this a straight roll. Gyrios' Wisdom Score is a 14, so he'll need to roll that or less on a d20. Let's see. A 16. Looks like he's failed the check. No, I have never seen this symbol before. Gyrgios had moved in to get a closer look at the headstones. They were about a dozen in all. But I can tell you this. I was wrong before. This is not a monastery. Look at the names engraved on these stones. Sister Akalinda. Sister Nerari. Sister Warail. They're all women. This place is a convent. I wonder how old it is, Umura wondered aloud, looking up at the stone building. It doesn't really seem that old to me, and notice that all these grave markers are standing straight. Look, that one even has fresh flowers on it. Umura was right. A sprig of small white blossoms had been set atop the headstone furthest from them and closest to the gate. Its petals were of a dusty white color. They might have missed it against the faded gray of the stone marker. That is pretty conclusive evidence that someone still lives here, I'd say. By now, Eridine had made her way to the gate. She gave it a push and it swung inward on hinges that shrieked shrilly in protest. The sound knifed through the morning silence and sent a pair of birds to wing somewhere further up. They squawked in alarm and flew off. The party moved through the gate one by one. Inside the fenced off area they could see a small outhouse, a chicken coop, a shed, an empty water trough, and a doghouse. There was no dog present, but scattered here and there on the ground were the corpses of seven scrawny chickens and one rooster. There were two other corpses here as well, a pair of goats, thin to the point of skeletal, but with bloated bellies and swollen black tongues, which lolled from their mouths. Their dead goats' crazy eyes regarded the party members as they drew near. Ugh, Grunmog's mercy. What has happened here? asked Harl. These creatures seem to have died from starvation, said Umura or of thirst, Kyrgios agreed. If somebody is here, why would they have allowed this to happen? It doesn't make sense, said Harl. Why fetch water from the river and then not give it to your animals? He scratched his beard. I'm beginning to like this less and less. Perhaps we should turn back. For some reason, they did not turn back. Instead, Umura moved to a single door set into the building's wall. This was clearly not the main entrance of the convent, but a service door used by whoever oversaw keeping these animals. Is it locked? Harl's face made it plain. He hoped it was. Let's find out, replied Umura, and she twisted the doorknob. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to lend your support, please consider spreading the word on social media or by leaving a review on the podcatcher of your choice. My sincere gratitude to everyone who's left a rating or review so far. These things really make a difference by helping the show to reach a wider audience. As you know, I'd like to read one of these great reviews at the end of every episode. This one is by The Bar Geek. The Bar Geek writes, "The show is the perfect marriage of radio drama and actual play. The production is spot on. The writing is evocative, and you can feel the passion the host has for the subject matter. I only recently discovered this cast, but I burned through the backlog at a record pace, and am now eagerly awaiting the next installment. I'm fighting the urge to wax even more poetic on the virtues of this show, but in the interest of brevity, I'll come to a close. TLDR, listen to this. You will not regret it. Wow, Bargeek, thank you so much. You waxed poetic enough for me. I'm thrilled that, through the show, you can sense my passion for D&D. Guilty as charged. I love this game more than is probably healthy. Truly appreciate your leaving that review. Special thanks is also due to Jose of the RPG Tips YouTube channel for voicing Prior Imril. Jose has a lot of great content on his channel. I'm especially fond of his Stories of Bardoba series. You should check it out. You can find me on the usual socials, Twitter at Manticore Tale and Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. The adventure will continue next time on Tale of the Manticore the story where chaos rolls. Welcome
1: to a world of myth and legend, inspired by the mythos of the Silk Roads. A place of wonder and mystery, where the tales of heroes aren't being sung, they're being made. Welcome
0: to Erion Well. You can experience the world in whichever way suits you. If you prefer self-contained short-form podcasts with a rotating
1: cast, check out our Earth's Embers podcast. If you'd like a full campaign,
0: then tune in to Blood and Song, now available as a micro-podcast. Join us at www.earthsembers.com for more details on both. And may the Great Mother guide you in all that you do.